God, I do thank you for your word and this, this body, this church. I'm thankful that we're connected to Treasure in Christ in Ann Arbor. Grateful for the work that you're doing there. And um, even just this morning, pray for Michael. I'm sure he's bringing the word. I just pray that you'd be gracious to him and bless the word, the, the unbelievers that may be there, that you would draw them to yourself. And um, I pray, God, that you would teach us through your word even now. As I've been blessed, give me grace to communicate things that you've taught me. Help me to share that with these brothers and sisters that, uh, that we might devote ourselves and, and in, in many ways renew our consecration unto you and your mission. So give us grace now, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Matthew 28, super, super common passage, right? This is, this is what it says. It says, and Jesus came, well, real quick, what's the context? Nate, what's the context for Matthew 28? Yeah, yeah, he's about to about to ascend. So Matt, this is Matthew's last recorded words that Matthew records. We know that Jesus was on the earth for forty days, you know, before he ascended. But this is kind of his last commission to them, the Great Commission. All right. So it says, and Jesus came and said to them, "All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son." And of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. So it's from this text that our church's mission, mission comes from. But more than that, it's from this, this text that the, the big C church's mission is derived from, right? It's really a summary statement of the Lord's remaining uh, marching orders for his people here on earth. And there's three parts to the text, right? Super easy to see. Nothing crazy about this, but three different kind of segments to this commission. There's a declaration, then there's a commission or a command given, and then there's a promise. A declaration, a commission, and a promise. So the declaration is super clear. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, Jesus says. All authority belongs to Jesus Christ. It's been given to him by the Father, and it's universal in scope. He is the supreme king of the universe. This is who Jesus is. All authority on heaven and on earth. Daniel 7.14, it's written that the Father has given to the Lord Jesus Christ dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve Him. And that His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and His kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Paul writes in Romans 14.9 For to this end Christ died and lived again. So this is the summary. To this end, he died and lived again. That he might be Lord, both of the dead and of the living. And then Paul writes in Philippians 2, 9 and 10, that God has highly exalted Christ and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that he is Lord. So Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth. He's the Lord of the universe, right? There's not one square inch where his rule and reign is, is not applied. He's the king, all authority on heaven and on earth. And then with this authority, the Lord then gives the commission, the command. Again, super clear. Go, therefore, or you can say, therefore, go. So in light of this authority, he calls his people to go and make disciples of all nations, 
baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe or teach them to obey all that I've commanded you. So Christ's people, they're now commanded in all ages to go in and under his authority to make more disciples of Christ everywhere, all nations. So they're told to go and make disciples. So the, the make disciples there, again, we've talked about that word a lot in church, just what that means, that we don't use that word a ton, but we do use the word apprentice, which is probably our, our modern word for disciple. But to make disciples, that's, that was actually like a one verb in the Greek. Uh, okay, don't, don't hold me to that pronunciation. Yeah, I'm not a Greek guy. But you can look it up. You know, Blue Letter Bible, great resource. Mathetuo. It's a Greek verb, and, it, and it's literally a call to take what you've learned in the way of following Christ and teach it to others. As one apprentice, teach another apprentice. The things that you've learned, you think about a, a, a plumber, an apprentice to a plumber. If he's got another apprentice that comes alongside under the same plumber, well, it's that apprentice's job to take the things that he's learned and distill it down to this, this newer guy, right? And so the discipleship that we're supposed to be involved in and doing, it's both formal and informal. The task of discipleship, it involves all aspects of our lives, right? From our heads to our heart to our hands, every part of us. That's following Jesus involves all of us. And so therefore, this making of disciples involves it all. And this, this work of making disciples, this is what Jesus was devoted to while he was on earth. And it's also the task that as we've been studying Acts, we've seen the early disciples clearly devoted to this work of making disciples. So being made into a mature disciple of Christ, and in turn, making mature disciples of Christ, it's a lifelong work. And it's also comprehensive in scope. Again, head, heart, hands, all of it. It can't merely occur by reading books, right, or going to a class or a seminary. It doesn't merely happen through those means. And yet, at the same time, it can't happen without some formal teaching as well. You know, that we see Jesus doing that. We see the apostles in Acts doing that, both informal and formal, comprehensive. Um, and according to Christ's command here, the command to make disciples is for all of us. If you're a disciple, well, then this command is for you. If you're under the authority, the rule and reign of Christ, then this command to make disciples is for you as well. It's not localized, only given to these apostles. It's for all of us. And then the disciples and ourselves, we are told to be uh, busy doing this work in all nations, of all nations, among all nations. So the word nations there in the text, this is this word ethne in the Greek. And a lot of people, there's a lot of, there's a lot of controversy as to what does this specific word apply to. You know, y'all have heard the word people groups before in mission circles. In the, in the missions world, people groups is the... Is where uh, is the translation that is is of choice for the word ethne, right? And I think that's pretty accurate. But even that's still kind of a, a goofy word. So so nations ethne, it's not just a nation state like Brazil or something like that, but it refers to any grouping of people, any grouping of people based around a shared culture, shared language, or shared tradition. Okay, so that's where a people group comes from. Is there a shared language? Is there a shared culture? Is there a shared tradition? Well, that, that's a people group. That's an ethne, right? But ethne is not just that small either. It's bigger in scope as well. It includes nation states as well, like the United States of America. It includes the state of South Carolina. It includes North Korea and all the different states within there. It's a pretty encompassing word, ethne. Go make, go make disciples among the ethne, among the nations, among the groupings of people. So they were to, when they heard this, their, their understanding would be, okay, so I'm supposed to go, we're supposed to go to Jerusalem, 
to Judea, to Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Those are the nations. That's where we're supposed to go make disciples. But then it would have gone smaller than that too. right? Within Jerusalem, there's some different linguistic group, groupings of people. Within Jerusalem, there's some different cultural groupings of people. We're supposed to go make disciples there as well. And then even among those groups, there's all these different households too. And we, we've seen that word throughout our study of Acts. That they're to go make disciples among all the households too. So the point being made here is that we're to make disciples everywhere. It's all encompassing. So in other words, Jesus is saying, I am now the supreme Lord of all the universe. So now in and with my authority, go to every square inch of all creation, every single grouping of people, and take it for my glory. Make disciples in and among those groupings of people for my glory, because I am the king. I am the ruler. Preach the gospel. Baptize those who are converted, and then teach the disciples to obey all my commands. When you think about it, this is an utterly astounding command. I mean, this, this is this is. Real. I mean, we can get familiar with the Great Commission, especially as evangelicals. We can get real familiar with this text, and we're like, okay, well, I know what that means. I've got a handle on it. I've got a grasp on it. But for me, studying this, just the comprehensive nature of the commission was utterly astounding to me. I think what happens to us oftentimes is we take commands like this one, like the Great Commission, that are humongous. This is a humongous task. And what we do is we reduce it down into something that in our own human ability, we might actually be able to pull off in a generation or two. I think we do, we do that with this text oftentimes. I think we do it with other ones as well. Like, our goal of planting churches throughout Charleston. We want to see churches planted all throughout the city, right? That's well and good to see the city saturated with, with the gospel through churches being planted. That's really good. We've taken the Great Commission and we've reduced it down. That's what that is. We've reduced the Great Commission down. That's all well and good. It, reducing down big lofty goals into micro goals is, is wise. That's smart to do. And if you want to run a marathon, well, you should probably run a 5K and then a 10K and then maybe a half marathon. You know, you've got to build up to it. I think there's a lot of wisdom in that. But too often, we, we stay with the smaller goals rather than remembering what we're, what we're really a part of and what we're really aiming at, the bigger, the bigger picture of what Christ is calling us to do here. And then what happens is our bar, it becomes really low. We strive for too little. We expect little. And what happens in my heart is I, I become less zealous and less devoted to the pursuit of Christ's mission. So a less... Holistic understanding of this command results in, oftentimes in a lesser devotion to its mission, right? So just to reduce the Great Commission down into evangelism and Bible studies and starting churches, that, that's a reduction that's unnecessary. The calling is much bigger than that. If that's all Jesus wanted us to do, he would have said that. But that's not what he said. He said, make disciples among all the ethne, everywhere. I'm, I have authority over all the earth. All of heaven and earth is mine. So we must evangelize. We must start Bible studies, plant and revitalize churches. But again, the commission is bigger than that. The mission is comprehensive in scope because God's vision and goal in redemption and in his goals in creation is comprehensive in scope. His mission, we've said this a couple times in the past few weeks, but his mission is to see the knowledge of the glory of God cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. As the waters cover the sea. There's no place over the sea where the waters don't cover it. That's the point. 
God's goal in all of creation is that the knowledge of his glory would cover the earth just like that. So Jesus Christ, again, I'm saying this over and over again, he has authority over everything, over commerce, over the government, over each, each and every neighborhood, over each and every one of our places of work. He has authority over our schools, over everything. So our ambition and our goal and mission is to see the dominion and reign of Christ take it all. Every single aspect of it. This command to go in in the authority of Christ and make disciples of his that are baptized and obeying his command, it is total in scope. It's a laboring towards seeing Christ's kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven in all things, which includes woodworking, trading stocks, educating teenagers, baking cookies, playing basketball, planting gardens, writing code, swimming in the ocean, watercolors, designing homes, parenting, lifting weights, exercising hospitality. It includes grilling steaks, swimming in the ocean. I said that already. I'm going to say it again. Fighting fires and anything else that I left out and forgot. This is big. It's more than just sharing the gospel. It's more than just starting a Bible study. It's more than just starting seeing a church planted. This commission is humongous. That the rule and reign of Christ would be in everything. It would saturate it all. So the Lord of heaven and earth has declared that all of Charleston is his. All of Ann Arbor is his. It's all his. Every square inch. There's no aspect of life that's out of bounds. I've heard it illustrated like this. If, um, if the mission of Christ were a big cosmic game of tag, okay, there's no safe zone. There's no out of bounds. There's no place where you can run and not be tagged. Christ is the Lord of heaven and earth over it all. So that means that this command to go and make disciples, we're to go everywhere. There's no out of bounds space. The, the, the local government, educational institutions, they can't say, well, hey, you can't do that here. Our places of work, you can't do that here. We're a secular space. We're a safe space. You can't bring your religion in here. They actually don't have that authority. They, they actually don't. North Korea doesn't have, the, the rulers of North Korea don't have the authority to say, hey, there's no Bibles here. There's no Christianity here. It doesn't work like that. Jesus has made a declarative statement that is true. When he rose from the dead, he stamped it as true, that he has all authority in heaven and on earth. And with that authority, he called his disciples to go and make disciples everywhere among all nations. There's no out of bounds. So, like we've seen, uh, it made me think of um, the Apostle Peter when he's arrested for preaching the gospel. And, and they're telling him, like, hey, if you don't quit this, we're going we're gonna to beat you, we're going to kill you. And he says, look, he says, we must obey God rather than men. That's the MO here. He's just applying what he heard from the risen king of the universe and the commission that he received. Go make disciples. I must obey God rather than men. This is it. So making disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ, it's a commission. Again, it pervades all that we do, everywhere we go, until the Lord's glory covers the earth as the waters cover the sea. Again, we're not commanded to just simply go and make some converts and group them into a few new churches and a Bible. No, no, we're commanded in the authority of Christ to go all over the earth and to take it for his glory. That's what we're commanded to do, to take it for his glory. So we labor towards seeing Christ's kingdom pervade all of creation. And the means of doing this task making disciples, preaching the gospel, baptizing new converts, teaching them to obey all that he's commanded us to do. That's it. Those are the means. A bit of a, uh, an aside here, but I thought it was, I wanted to include it because it, 
it resonated with me. Jen and I have been digging into some Christian biographies recently. There's a um, there's an awesome podcast by Stephen Lawson called Men Who Rock the World. It's really good. What he does, he's essentially in like 40 minutes summarizes some of these, you know, these giants of the faith. What they did, kind of some of their motivation. Really, really good podcast. You ought to listen to it. But anyway, we've been digging into some of those some of those biographies and just looking at remembering like who who were these men? What what did they do? What were their motivations? What drove them? And one thing that stuck out to me as I've been looking at those, they had this dogged work ethic and this like unquenchable zeal for the kingdom of Christ. Some of them were preachers, some were teachers, some missionaries, linguists. They did a variety of different things. But they all had this shared work ethic. You couldn't put the flame out. They, just, they were just going for it. And one common thread in every single story that we've looked at and talked about is they had this view of the Great Commission. This is what they aimed at. When you read like David Brainerd, he, he, was, this, he was a missionary to, to Native Americans in, in the U.S., and he had this dogged belief that all, every single tribe was Christ and that every single aspect of that tribe should be brought into conformity to Christ's kingdom. And it drove him to give his life for this. It's the same with Dietrich Bonhoeffer, so many of these others that we've been looking at. They had this view of the Great Commission. It was total, it was complete, it was comprehensive. And their view of this command to go and make disciples, they, they, they really understood it as conquering the world for Christ. It was bigger than what I so often view the Great Commission as. I hear this text, I'm like, okay, I need to go, I need, I need to pray for the lost, I need to share the gospel, I need to teach them some things, I need to group them into a group, and then I need to go do that to the next thing. That's good. That, that's all well and good, but it's so much bigger than that. It's so much bigger than that. It's to see the rule and reign of Christ pervade every aspect of our lives first and then those that are around us. Everything is His. So, again, I think we as evangelicals as a whole, we just aim too low. And as a result, our outcomes are low, our outcomes are fleeting, our outcomes are weak in impact generationally. But these brothers that we've been digging into, on the other hand, their aims were much higher, much larger. It resulted in a deeper conviction, a deeper zeal, a more dogged work ethic, a higher commitment to it. And therefore, the work that they gave their lives to was longer lasting. <laughs> and it had generational impact. And it's just been challenging for me to read this text and then to hear those stories. I'm just like, man, listen to my life. This is one of those things. My view of the Great Commission has been so small, so much bigger than that. And then... If our view of the Great Commission is in line with what we see here in this text, well, then we will most assuredly have to cling to the promise that's at the very end of the text, too, that I am with you always to the end of the age. A commission as big as I'm outlining, it's absolutely impossible without a promise like this one. It must be empowered by His presence if we are to make disciples among all nations. If we are to see the rule and reign of Christ pervade every single institution in the world, every single grouping of people, every single ethne, that is way bigger than me starting a Bible study here in Carolina Bay. It's way bigger than that. And so therefore it leans, it, it pushes us, presses us to lean into this promise and to hold it tightly. And praise be to Christ that he stands behind it, that he is with his people, empowering them, leading them, guiding them, giving them success for his glory, the good of those that, are, that he's empowering and that they're seeking to reach that are still in darkness. As I was um, studying this, this passage, I was reminded of the text that we looked at last week when we were looking at the catechism. 
what type of redeemer is needed, one who is truly God, truly man, to save us. And then we looked at Isaiah 9, 6 and 7. So I went back there. This is kind of a, it's, it's really a Christmas passage, um, but it's good here too. This is what's promised. It says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And listen to this next part. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. And on the throne of David, over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. That's the Great Commission. That's, that's what it is. In other words, in other words, go and make disciples among all the nations. I have all authority in heaven and earth. Go and make disciples. And then, right after that, we're told how this Great Commission will be accomplished. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. The zeal, the passion, the omnipotent energy of the Lord of hosts will establish and extend his kingdom among all nations. Only he empowers the preaching of the gospel. Only he makes it effective. Only he's the one who changes hearts. Only he's the one who gets Bibles into North Korea. Only he's the one who enables us to do watercolors for his glory. Swim in the ocean. I said that multiple times. But to swim in the ocean for his glory, it's only him that multiplies that out throughout the whole beach. Not just a couple people, but that everybody would be in that beach swimming in that ocean with their eyes towards the king. God, thank you for that. You know, they would be praising him. And the Great Commission, it require, a Great Commission that's this big, it requires us to lean into to that promise. It's the Lord of hosts, that, or the zeal of the Lord of hosts that will do this. Lo, I'm with you always to the end of the age. We've got to have that promise. So, I mean, you keep going into the Great Commission, but really that... That understanding of that text has, in so many ways, shaped where God's calling us to go and what He's calling us to be as a church. And, and so I want to kind of walk through that now, tie these two strings together. So the name of our church comes from this text, right? Christ Church Charleston. We're, ma- we're making it official. We're Christ Church Charleston. We, are, we want to be Christ Church, literally, in Charleston. That's who we're trying to be. All authority on heaven and earth has been given to him. Okay, we are yours. We are your church, your body. And we just we so happen to be in Charleston. This is where we are. This is our context. We want to be your people here. And then our mission as a church, we're saying, is to make disciples of Christ, to glorify God in all of life. That's where that comes from. All of life. And then boldly live out their faith. So that all of life is where it's tied to this great commission. It's not just... A Sunday thing that we're doing here. No, no, no. All of life. We want to make disciples and glorify God in all of life. So we seek to make disciples. It's the primary purpose for the church's existence. This is a disciple-making body. It's a disciple-making organism of sorts. Just like a husband and wife are brought together to produce offspring and then multiply out for generations, so the church is to make disciples that multiply out for generations. It's activities, aims, practices, um, not only form and shape and mold existing disciples further into the image of Jesus, but it also takes the gospel to those who are not yet in Christ. Twofold, right? It's not some country club where we dress up, mingle on Sunday service, you know, and have a good meal afterwards. That's not all it is. No, there's a clear and distinct God-given mission and task that we're to carry out in our, in our local context to make disciples of Christ. That's why we exist. And then secondly, we exist to make disciples of Christ who glorify God in all of life. So our Christianity, again, I've been saying this, is not confined to one area of our lives. We're not practicing disciples of Christ merely on Sunday for a while while we're, particip- or while we're participating in like spiritual activities. We're not just Christians then. We're, we're, we're Christians 
on the job site. We're Christians in the office. We're Christians. We're, we are disciples of Christ when the little ones are yelling at us for the 50th time to fill up their cup of water, right? We're the Christians all the time. All of life is to be given unto him. And yet, what's so um, common, unfortunately, in our modern evangelical experience is that our spiritual life and our normal everyday life has somehow become bifurcated and separated. We know this ought not to be the case, but for some reason it is. For some reason we lean towards that, and for some reason a lot of the church, that's, that's what it is. It's bifurcated. But and all of life is to be lived for Him. He's the Lord of all creation. All authority on heaven and earth is His. So it's all to be lived for Him. God calls us and He's designed our bodies in such a way that the majority of our hours are spent doing normal things, right? Making and consuming food, driving here to there, you know, washing our laundry, um, cleaning up after the littles again and again and again, working a job that's not explicitly spiritual in nature. These, these can feel like second-tier activities so often. And then, we, we, again, we bifurcate our life. It's like, okay, well, these normal things, these are just normal things, and I just kind of do it. And then I've got my like, spiritual things. When I'm, I'm up in the early in the morning, I'm reading my Bible, I'm praying, we're together as the church, or we're going to do, like, these are the spiritual. No, no, no. All of this life is to be lived for him. Romans 12, 1 and 2, Paul, Paul gives this exhortation um, after outlining the gospel for 11 chapters. He said, I appeal to you by the mercies of God to present your bodies your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So what do we do with our bodies? Everything. <laughs> we work, we eat, we sleep, we play, we take care of our home, we act as neighbors. We do a whole host of other ordinary, normal activities with our bodies. That's what Paul's saying. That's what he's pushing them to be and to do, to present all of your body, all of you, as a sacrifice to God. And that is our spiritual worship. It's that act right there that glorifies God to present all of our life for Him. And in Hebrews 13, 14, um, there's an exhortation to continually, continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, which is fruit, the fruit of lips that acknowledge His name. And then in 1 Corinthians 15, 58, Paul says, Be steadfast and movable and always abounding in the work of the Lord. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. That doesn't mean like, okay, we'll neglect your normal duties of life. No, no, no. That, that's like, no, all of, all of your life is under his rule and reign. So take all of your life and let it be lived unto his glory, his praise, and his honor. Present it all for his glory. Present it all that he would be glorified in it. So, again, our mission, we want to make disciples of Christ who glorify God in all of life. And then the last piece is that they would then, we would then, boldly live out our faith that we would boldly live out our faith again god's plan his vision what he's doing in the earth is he's seeking to cover the earth with the knowledge of his glory as the waters cover the sea that's what he's doing and the means through which he does that his revealed strategy for doing that is you will and you nate and you Haley, and me all of us that we would take this faith this belief that he's the lord of all and then that, that action that it draws out that we would present all of our life, all of our body for His glory, that as we do that boldly, as salt and light in the world, He would then draw others to Himself. He would draw others into this, this kingdom of His that He's building. And as we do that faithfully, as we do that with boldness, as we do that to greater and greater degrees throughout our life, His kingdom then pervades every aspect of creation. 
This is, his, this is what he does. This is his strategy. Yes, we preach the gospel. Yes, we pray for the lost. Yes, we start Bible studies. Yes, we do serve events. Yes, we want to see more churches planted. We want to see this house church multiplied into more. Yes, we want to see that. We want to see that. But it's bigger than that. It's bigger. It's much more bigger. Much more bigger. Can you say that? It's much bigger. There you go. Whatever. It's bigger, okay? It's so much more than that. It's all of life. Every single one of our lives lived unto His glory. And us doing that with great boldness. It's like Acts 8, what we've been seeing in Acts. What we looked at last week. You persecute these, you, these brothers and sisters who are now living all of life under the rule and reign of Christ. You persecute them so they have to go to the next town. So what? It doesn't matter. It didn't change their identity. They took the gospel with them. It's who they were. They were seeking to present their bodies as living sacrifices. Therefore, they, they lived as salt and light in the new context that they found themselves in. They boldly lived out their faith. This is who we want to be. We want to strive to be that together. That this body would be that. And that, by God's grace and mercy, that he would then multiply it out throughout the city. Um, this is what we're, we're after. So again, big mission distilled down in some ways into a mission for our church to just dig our teeth into, to grab onto, and to go after. So then the question in my mind is like, well, then what do we do? Like, how do I, how do, I do this? I immediately want to go to the, like, action steps, you know, the list. All right, give me the, give me the like, things that I can check off. I'm going to do these things on Monday, and then I'm going to do these on Tuesday, and these on Wednesday, and these on, the, you know, and we're going to get there. You know, we want the steps. We want the plan. We got engineers in here, you know. You guys want it. You create it. It's great. It's wonderful. But in many ways, the Lord hasn't given us these steps. There's a mystery to it because the call is holistic, and the call is contextual to who you are and where you are, what season of life you're in. Living, living all of your life for the glory of Christ is going to look different for all of us. So then my, my, my question was like, well, what do we do? What do, what do we start? And I think it's pretty clear from the scriptures that there's two things that we need to do as a body, even where we're at. Is one, there's a call of repentance. That's what I felt. It's like, man, I need to repent. I need to repent. And then secondly, I need to in many ways, renew my consecration unto Christ's mission. I need to repent and then renew this consecration that God's given me. So one, we got to repent. This is where all faithfulness begins. This is where the Christian life begins, and this is, this is what it looks like to walk in obedience with Him throughout the rest of our lives. We repent, we turn to Christ. We repent, and we turn to Christ. So in this specific case, for me, it's been, a, it's been an acknowledgement that I'm aimed at so many other things rather than Christ's kingdom. And I think you would share that with me, that we're aimed at just so many other things. We're too often driven by our own kingdom. We're driven by our own glory rather than Christ. Too often, just to be honest, I would rather see Joel exalted on my workplace. I would rather the people working under me say, man, what a great project manager he is. Wow, they got it going. What an awesome. I would rather see that than for them to see Christ. I would rather for my neighbors to, to make much of my name rather than Christ. I'd rather see Joel magnified in my family rather than, than Christ. It's a call for repentance. We've got to repent of our selfish ambition. We've got to turn from our fear of man. Again, that keeps us from living our faith out boldly. That keeps us from the dogged work ethic that we ought to be driven towards. The fear of man that keeps us from, from diving in head first into this mission. We've got to repent of that. From Turn from our fear of man. Turn towards fear of God. We've got to repent of the ways that we tangibly distract ourselves from Christ's kingdom and His mission. 
And there's also a call to repent of how I and how we together, we bifurcate our spiritual lives and our normal lives. We make it into two different things. No, it's all of, it's all of life lived up under Him. So we turn to Christ. We ask Him to forgive us. We ask Him to cleanse us, to change our hearts. And praise be to God that He delights to do so. Do so. He's promised to do so. That's what He wants. He calls us to repent, to turn from our sin and to Him. And He promised, we say, we say this a lot when we take the Lord's Supper because it's a fitting text. It says, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we got to start with repentance. But then secondly, we must renew our consecration. Now, I know that's a weird way to say that, but we, we got to renew our devotion to maybe how, maybe that's a better way to say it. Renew how we view how we've been consecrated. Oh, let me explain, okay? To con- let me explain. That, that's not a good way to say it. Whatever, forget it. We've been consecrated to Christ, and we have been consecrated, set apart for this mission. To consecrate an object or a person is to make it or declare it sacred. It's literally to set it apart or to dedicate it to the service of something, specifically to God. And this is exactly what God has done to each of us if we're in Christ. 1 Peter 2.9 says that you are a chosen race. A chosen race. A royal priesthood. That you are a people for His own possession. In other words, you and I have been consecrated unto God. We have been set apart to God for a specific purpose. It's just true. When you come to Christ, yes, your sins are forgiven, but you've now been consecrated for a different purpose. That's what it means to be His disciple. You're no longer a disciple of the world. You're a disciple of the Lord. You're consecrated for His purposes and His aim. And then the rest of the verse says, the purpose for which we have been consecrated as such, that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. We've been consecrated to take the kingdom of Christ everywhere, to proclaim His excellencies in all areas and all aspects of our lives and in the world. So we've got to remember who we are in Christ and what we've been set apart to do. We've got to renew our devotion to that task. We got to, that's maybe what I should have said. We've been consecrated. Renew your devotion to it. There you go. Um, and again, I, I was reminded of this, and I'm thankful for this, but I, I've, just as I was studying and even writing out some of these thoughts, I was convicted because in many ways I haven't been living out that consecration, just, just to be completely honest. I haven't been devoted to this work of proclaiming the excellencies of him who called me out of darkness into his marvelous light. And so the thought was in my head. It's like, okay, well, if I haven't been devoted to that task, am I still consecrated? Yes, you're still. You're still set apart for Christ. That's the beauty of the gospel in me every day. It's like even as we haven't been living out those purposes as we would like, as we've been called, this humongous mission that we're to be aiming at, right? Every aspect of our lives is supposed to be aimed at seeing Christ glorified. That's the Great Commission, that we bring others into that. In many ways, you haven't been living that. It doesn't mean you're not part of the chosen race anymore. It doesn't mean you've like lost your priesthood, maybe. You are a priest. You are a chosen people for His possession. We can repent of the ways that we haven't been devoted to it, and we can dig in and ask God to change us and to make us new. So the call is to renew our commitment to see all of Christ applied to all of our lives for the sake of Christ's glory in all of Charleston. All of Christ, for all of life, for all of Charleston. That's Christ's mission to which we've been set out, we've been set apart for. Nothing less. All of Christ will be applied to all of our lives for the sake of all of Charleston. 
That's the Great Commission summed up. That's it. That's what we're to live for. That's what we're to go for. So I want to I just pray, and then we're going to take some of this, and I want to get into groups and just do some personal application, all right? Lord, thank you that um, well, you've given us your word. Thank you that you are the Lord of all creation. You are the King of kings, the supreme in all the universe. And you have entrusted to us this mission that is far greater than we can begin to imagine. It's far more weighty than we realize. And yet, by your grace and mercy, we are the means by which you will accomplish it. So, Lord, I pray that you would strengthen us with your power through your spirit in our inner beings. I pray that, Christ, you would dwell in our hearts through faith that each one of us would be rooted and grounded in love, and that we would together, we'd have strength to comprehend with all the saints the breadth, the length, the height, and the depth of the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge, that we would be filled with all the fullness of God so that we would see all of Christ applied to all of our lives for the sake of all of Charleston. So God, you've promised that you can do far more abundantly than all that we could ask or imagine. So God, we just pray that you would do it, that all of Christ would be applied to all of our lives, that you would multiply this body, that you would catalyze us out into mission, that you would give us grace to be, not just make disciples who glorify God in all of life, but to be disciples who glorify God in all of life, and that we together would then boldly live out our faith. So to seek to apply uh, your word, this mission, these things that have been said, I just pray you give us grace and your spirit would lead us. Pray Jesus in your name. Amen.